everyone. Welcome to this week's chapter by chapter recap. Today, we are taking a look at a week's worth of reading from Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV that spans Lamentations chapter one all the way to Ezekiel chapter 17. My name is Corey Babechko, if this is your first time here, and I am joined by my husband, Matlock. Hey, Matlock. Hey, I'm back. You're back. Are you ready for Lamentations and <laughs> I, Ezekiel? I am ready for it. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's jump right let's in. Jump okay. Right in. Lamentations, uh, as you know, as a whole, uh, is what it sounds like. It's a series of of laments of mourning. Uh, specifically, it is five poems about the destruction of Jerusalem. So. <clears throat> Lamentations chapter one, we see Jerusalem personified. So Jerusalem as if it were a person. Um, and, and we see her lamenting her fallen condition. In chapter two of Lamentations, it's the Lord who is said to have caused Jerusalem's destruction. Uh, so God's given credit for this destruction. And, and the prophet, which is Jeremiah, <clears throat> begins to mourn and calls for the city itself to cry out to God. And the city does begin to cry out to God, the destroyed city. In Lamentations chapter three, a more personal perspective is taken up. So it's not just the city as if it were a person, but now is speaking. <clears throat> and um, there's this description given of the horrors and the atrocities uh, of the not atrocity, just the horrors of experiencing the wrath of God. Uh, and then at the end of chapter three, there's sprinkled in some hope here um, from verses 19 to 26. So I wanted to read you those verses. So again, from this personal perspective, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So again, there's the, always these awesome lines that have really inculcated themselves into Christian culture today. I mean, they're like that, that the amazing hymn, great is your faithfulness, right? Yeah. So if, if we go back in there, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This has become literally a hymn of the Christian church. And yet um, today, I think so often because so many people don't read their Bibles, they don't know that the context of this is, is, hope and God's faithfulness through judgment and, and through trials. And there's such a depth of faith. There, There's so much more depth to that than just like, oh, God's great. God's faithful. Everything's beautiful. Nothing bad is ever going to happen because that's just not true. That's just right. not reality. So keeping uh, the scripture in context really naturally adds an amazing depth. And something that we do forget too is that quiet waiting, waiting yeah. quietly. No one, about, no one likes that. <laughs> no one likes. No one likes that. Think about today when everyone, every, you know, it's embellished because of the internet. This is like a new phenomenon, right? But um, microwaves. Everyone's. You know, I don't think anyone can get any louder. Like with the news right. and everything. Anyway, and just fast like, and fast, right? Quick and fast. It's like waiting patiently and quietly. It's just not something we like to do as humans. Man, when justice happens, we need justice now. Like, yeah. yeah. Sorry. 
anything Empathic now. Sense. We yeah. need everything now. Yeah, we need everything like now. Like recently yeah. here in Canada where we live, we had a nationwide outage of Rogers for a day. It was like yes. a day and a half or something. And everyone was losing it. Yeah, it was nice. I liked it. Yeah. But no one else did. No. <laughs> no one had internet. Well, it, it did create chaos for like some yes, for, for some fair. some um, yeah. national structures that we had going on, which That's right. is something else, completely different. But yeah. yes, no one likes waiting quietly, That's especially right. when you're in pain. But there is purpose in it. There there can be purpose in it. That's right. All right. Lamentations chapter four. So this is um Again, the destruction of Jerusalem is spoken of, but this time there's vivid descriptions of the the siege of the city itself and the what happens in a siege and what we know historically happens in a siege. So there's descriptions of the starvation that was going on and death and and even cannibalism of the dead is described, which it was a horrible dehumanizing thing for anyone to go through, uh, ancient or not. So Also, chapter four connects the destruction of the city of Jerusalem to the corruption of the prophets and the priests specifically. So it likens them now to the blind and the unclean, which is ironic, right? Because the prophets and the priests, the prophets claim to have spiritual vision, right? But they're said to be blind. And the priests are those who are the most ritually pure, the most ritually clean, and yet they are unclean. Those who claim to see spiritual truths are now blind, and those who claim to be holy, to be set apart, are so unclean that people who are living in um, in just disaster, in, in poverty and squalor, are telling them to get away because they're so unclean. Um, <clears throat> there's also a direct address to the nation of Edom here in Lamentations 4 to stop rejoicing over Jerusalem's fall because Edom... Edom's fall is coming. Edom is also going to be destroyed. So historically, we know that the nation of Edom took advantage of Babylon's invasion of Judah, uh, making incursions up up into their territory, taking more territory, and also uh, not helping people who were fleeing away from the Babylonian invasion. All right, so Lamentations 5, this last chapter of Lamentations, this is a direct call for God to save people, to remember, specifically is the term, remember us, God. So this, this call for God to remember them and this idea of God remembering his people, it's often used of God's action. So it's not as if God actually forgot them, but he's not actively intervening on their behalf. In that sense, he's not remembering them. He's not actively intervening, right? Um, So this is a call for God to actively engage back with the people and, and help them, fix them, restore their condition. So it describes some of the hardships experienced by the captured Judeans at the hands of their Babylonian captors. And that wraps up Lamentations. So moving right along, we're, we're moving into the book of Ezekiel. So we're going to be going to uh, from Ezekiel 1 to 17. And Ezekiel was a part of an earlier wave of exiles from Judah to Babylon. So when he is called as a prophet, Jerusalem has not yet been destroyed by the Babylonians, but Ezekiel is currently living as an exile in Babylon because he's part of that first wave. So uh 
during his lifetime, uh, e- as an exile in Babylon, he sees Jerusalem and Judah being a vassal nation. So under Babylonian control, he sees the rebellion of King Zedekiah against Babylon's rule. And then he would see the repercussions of that, which is the Neo-Babylonian Empire going in and eventually destroying Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter one, we meet a 30-year-old Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel has this vision of God's throne, uh, but it's a moving throne. Uh, So it's often described as a chariot throne of God, right? So it has wheels that see all. uh, He sees cherubim or four living creatures and they're described in a very interesting way so they have human bodies but they have four different faces or presences uh, that of a man a lion an ox and an eagle they're also said to have four wings um, with two two are on their body and two they fly with they fly they're said to fly in a square formation with wingtips touching. Ezekiel also sees around God's throne this vault that looks like crystal. The throne itself looks like the precious stone lapis luzi. I know I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. I'm not up on my geology terms. How how would you say that? (laughs) Uh, Then God in human form is on the throne. So he sees that. And this whole really interesting description of God's chariot throne ends with Ezekiel falling on his face when he finally sees the glory of God. He falls as if he's dead. So some significance that we can draw from this vision, I mean, there's so much, but, um, and you can probably see right away why Ezekiel is loved and a source of confusion for many people, uh, because it is very, very interesting and very spiritual in many of its chapters. Okay, so some significance of this is that God is mobile now. So where God was seen to be, was believed, his presence was believed to be, you know, resting with the people in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple, we see here God actually being mobile. So it reinforces this idea that the temple of God in Jerusalem has actually been decommissioned. So God is described as coming from the north, which is always associated with the enemy coming to destroy Jerusalem. So there's some really significant points that would not have been lost to Ezekiel or his original audience in Ezekiel chapter one. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter two, God helps Ezekiel to stand up because remember he's fallen on his face and he calls Ezekiel as a prophet um, sent specifically to um, the rebellious people of God. Uh, God tells Ezekiel, don't be afraid of them. Also, don't be rebellious like them and eat this. He goes, eat eat this, Ezekiel. And he has Ezekiel consume a scroll that's written on it words of lament, of mourning, of weeping. So we know that just like Jeremiah at this point, Ezekiel's overall message is not going to be a good one for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter three. So Ezekiel eats the scroll and he says it tastes like honey. And then he's told to go speak to Israel specifically, go speak to the people of God specifically, not to foreigners, because surely the foreigners 
would listen to you, Ezekiel. So again, at every turn, we're, we're getting this idea of why God is bringing wrath and judgment on his people. So God takes Ezekiel up with his chariot throne and brings him back to the exiles who are said to be around the Kibar River. Uh, God tells Ezekiel, you must tell these people my warnings or their blood is on your hands. So if you choose to withhold these messages of warning that I'm giving you, their death will be on you. So God tells Ezekiel to go to the plain. And when he does, he sees the glory of God again. And he ends up having to go into seclusion until God opens his mouth. So there's this really interesting commissioning of Ezekiel as a prophet. <clears throat> okay, Ezekiel chapter four. Ezekiel is told to demonstrate the coming siege of Jerusalem by Babylon by making a clay model of the city and the siege. So make a clay model of it. And, and he's told to lay on his side for a certain amount of days. So Ezekiel has to measure out his food. And God even tells Ezekiel to cook his food using human feces as fuel, Ezekiel resists this. So this is supposed to show how the people inside Jerusalem will be in such dire straits that it's just going to be unclean, the process of them eating, right, what they eat at all. Ezekiel resists this, uh, and and God allows it. God's like, okay, you can use animal dung, which was a common fuel, uh, as opposed to human waste, which would have been uh, ritually unclean, as well as just kind of gross. Yeah. Ezekiel chapter 5. So... We're going to see Ezekiel doing a lot of physical things, right? That's just part of kind of how his ministry went. So he, chapter five is no exception. Ezekiel is told to shave his head and beard and divide it, divide the hair into thirds. One third he burns, one third he strikes with the sword, and the last third of this hair he scatters to the wind. Uh, he, he saves a few hairs back and tucks them into his garment. Um, but then once they're tucked out, he plucks, at, tucked away, he plucks a few of them out of the garment and burns them. So this is supposed to be symbolic of what's going to happen to the population of Jerusalem, where uh, some are going to die. Uh, you know, there's going to be fire. There's going to be sword. There's going to be scattered to the wind, which is going into exile. Uh, a few are going to be saved, but not all, even not all of those are going to make it. Ezekiel chapter 6, um, this prophecy against uh, uh, Judah continues against the, Judah's mountains with their shrines and incense altars. They will be smashed. Ezekiel is told to stomp his feet on the ground, to like strike his hands together, to mourn and to wail out um, because of the prophecies. So he's supposed to show how upset he is over, over these prophecies because they are so final and so brutal. Ezekiel chapter 7 is very interesting because it records God in first person personally describing the destruction of Judah. Now, I, I always am struck with verses 20 to 21 of chapter 7. It says this, They took pride in their beautiful jewelry and used it to make their detestable idols. They made it into vile images. Therefore, I will make it a thing unclean for them. I will give their wealth as plunder to foreigners and as loot to the wicked of the earth who will defile it. So the very thing that the people of Judah loved and tainted with false worship will be the very thing that brings their destruction. 
this want of their wealth. And the enemy will destroy them to get to their loot, to their wealth. Ezekiel chapter 8. Okay, so again, Ezekiel, I don't know what it is about him, but he just has the most interesting things happen to him. So like in, in, he's already traveled in this vision by the chariot throne of God, which I can't even, I can't, I can't even imagine. Right. But then now in this, in chapter eight, he gets taken up by the hair in this vision and is transported to the Jerusalem temple. So interesting methods of travel, Ezekiel. You, you must've been a really fun guy to talk to. (laughs) Okay. So. Um, in the temple, he sees um, an idol that had been set up in the temple. It's not named. It's not really described at all. Um, and he gets shown things that have driven God from his sanctuary, things that are so detestable that God has turned his back. He has walked away from the temple. So uh, some of these things are that the people decorated the interior of the temple with animals and insects um, and many idols, uh, women mourning for Tamas, which was a Sumerian and a Babylonian god um, whose death was mourned yearly. So Tamas's death and then coming back to life, his rebirth was said to be mirrored in the seasons. So when everything died off, they would mourn for Tamas. And then that mourning, if they did it really well, that would guarantee a really good spring when everything would come back to life. So either these women were were mourning Tamas as God, as Yahweh. So they were conflating the two of them, or they were just straight up worshiping Tamas as Tamas apart from Yahweh. We're not told. Uh, we're also told that there were men worshiping the sun. And so when the sun would rise in the east, they would they would bow to the sun. What that did was, is it literally made them turn their backs on the temple. So we've got a literal and a figure, figurative truth kind of matching up here. Ezekiel chapter 9. God has servants of his mark the foreheads of those who mourn over what's going on. So he marks people who are upset by all the false worship that's going on. And he says that they will be spared, but everyone else will be killed indiscriminately. So men, women, and children. Now, this is an awful concept, uh, But we have to remember that this is an image of what the Babylonians will do. God is releasing their anger. He's allowing them to come in with their evil and using evil to judge evil. Uh, And they will, the Babylonians will do so in their fashion, which is indiscriminately. And they are going to brutally murder anyone in the city of Jerusalem, everyone in the city of Jerusalem, once the siege is broken. But But ultimately what God is saying here in Ezekiel chapter 9 is that he is going to purposefully save those who mourn. Now, this saving, the salvation of those people partially happens um, through that first exile that Ezekiel was a part of and and Daniel was already a part of and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it's also partially going to happen through God's miraculous provision for those people, like how he saved Jeremiah and Baruch and Ebed Melech. Uh, back in the book of Jeremiah. Okay, so Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 10. So after this sort of cleansing of the temple, this destruction of the temple, God's presence leaves the temple. And Ezekiel again describes the cherubim, also called the four living creatures. In Ezekiel chapter 11, God brings him to the east gate of the temple. 
the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And here there's a description of 25 men, leaders of Jerusalem, giving the people of Jerusalem evil advice. So God has Ezekiel prophesy against these men as they're giving out this evil advice. And as he's prophesying against them, he sees one of them drop dead in his vision. And Ezekiel immediately stops prophesying and he falls face down and he cries out to God, basically stop. He goes, alas, sovereign Lord, will you completely destroy the remnant of Israel? Like, I'm, I'm just going to prophesy and everyone's going to die. This is not what Ezekiel wanted to happen. But God then encourages Ezekiel. He promises. He's like, remember, I've promised to bring back the scattered Israelites and Judeans. Um, I'm, but I am going to take away the remaining idolatry in the land. Um, God's presence then leaves Jerusalem, leaves the Jerusalem temple and rests on the Mount of Olives. In Ezekiel chapter 12, we see Ezekiel acting, like physically acting out the Babylonian exile. And he explains to the people what's going to happen. And he even prophesies about um, King Zedekiah, who he calls in this prophecy the prince, that he's going to try to escape, but he's going to be caught. And he's going to be brought to Babylon, but he's not going to be able to see it. And of course, we know that Zedekiah did try to escape the besiegement of Jerusalem. But when Nebuchadnezzar caught him, he had his eyes gouged out and was brought to Babylon. So this prophecy does come true. Now, Ezekiel is told to tremble as he eats and shudder as he drinks. So act afraid, act very, very afraid and tell people that because uh, that, that the people of Jerusalem and Israel will eat food in anxiety. They will drink in fear because of all the violence that's going on around them and, and that's waiting for them, which absolutely would have happened in the besiegement of Jerusalem. Uh, he's told also that this is, this is happening soon. It's not going to be delayed any longer. You're not going to have to wait very long to see this fulfilled. It's going to happen soon, Ezekiel and the people he's telling. So Ezekiel chapter 13, the false prophets make another appearance here. They, they feature prominently in Jeremiah, who's a contemporary of Ezekiel. Uh, but here in chapter 13, Ezekiel prophesies against the false prophets. He says that the false prophets are prophesying lies and delusions, and specifically that they say, the Lord declares, and then they expect God to fulfill their words. So it's not that God is saying, tell the people I declare this. The prophets are doing the opposite. They're saying the Lord declares and then putting in their own message and they're expecting God, they're commanding God so that he will do what they say. This is a scary concept, guys. This is a scary, scary concept. So let's read, let's read this in verse 6 of Ezekiel chapter 13. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say the Lord declares and expect him to fulfill their words. Ezekiel then goes on to speak against certain women prophets because we know all throughout the Old Testament there are real women prophets of God but of course then there's also false women prophets of God. So Ezekiel speaks to the false ones who were also talking about their visions and practicing divination. Um, 
but they were also dealing in magical charms. So amulets for good luck, for protection against evil spirits, things of this nature, blessed things, right? In Ezekiel chapter 14, the elders of Israel come to Ezekiel in real life. This is not a vision. This is, this is actually happening to Ezekiel. They come to Ezekiel apparently asking for advice um, or asking for a message from God uh, over something specific. But God rejects the elders because he says that they have set up idols in their hearts and put stumbling blocks before their own faces. And God says to Ezekiel, should I let them inquire of me at all? They've set up idols in their hearts. So this is where, you know, a lot of times the Old Testament gets kind of relegated into the realm of, well, everything is very literal and everything is not 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 very spiritual. And we see here that the, the concept of idolatry has always been, you know, has always been not just physically setting up an idol, but even in our own hearts internally. Yeah, is the concept is that when you believe something, you'll behave that way. Right. Right. So they they in their hearts they believe that these idols, you know, the false prophets are following their own hearts and their own spirit. They just they want to believe in these things, mm-hmm. despite what's true, or even despite what's good. Mm-hmm. They, they want these things to be true, and is that does that want is what propels these things. Yeah. Yeah, and anyways. And it's really interesting because, I mean, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, the prophet Samuel, you know, when he's talking to Saul, he says um, rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like the sin of idolatry. Arrogance, idolatry, arrogance, idolatry. It's really, really interesting stuff. That's right. So God rejects these elders of Israel, even though they're trying to get a message from him. He rejects them because they've set up idols in their hearts and put stumbling blocks before their faces. So this ends up turning into a cry by Ezekiel for exiled Israel to reject idolatry and return to God. And these are the good ones. Remember, this is the good basket of figs, according to Jeremiah, that has been taken (laughs) away. These are the people who are not beyond hope who have been taken away in the first exile. So this turns into a cry, again, for exiled Israel to reject idolatry wholesale and actually return to God. Uh, We learn, you know, God says, and Ezekiel says, a true prophet wouldn't answer a person like these elders. And if they did, if that prophet decided to give a message from God to these people, they'd be judged for it. Ezekiel chapter 15 um, Basically, the people in Jerusalem here are compared to the wood of a vine, which is good for nothing except as fuel for fire. Mm. So there's there's lots of parts of the vine and the fruit of the vine that you can use for lots of different things, but the wood you could not. It was only good for fuel. Ezekiel chapter 16, we're going to go up to 17 today, but Ezekiel chapter 16, Jerusalem is envisioned as a child of an Amorite father and a Hittite mother. So these are the people who had originally founded the city of Jerusalem before King David and and, um, Joab took it over. But the city as a baby was left alone. It was abandoned while it was still bloody with the umbilical cord still attached until God saw it and said, live, and then helped it grow up. 
Eventually, God entered a covenant relationship with the city envisioned as a marriage here. He washed the blood off, decked her all out in fancy royal garments, giving her a new role and a new purpose in life, placed a crown on her head, gave her the very best food, and her fame spread. But she became a prostitute, abandoning the covenant that she had with God and actually reveling in the fact that she was abandoning the covenant, even sacrificing her children to idols. Uh, The alliances that Jerusalem and Judah made with other nations are envisioned as adulterous affairs. Um, And then God accuses of Jerusalem of just really being stupid. Like the, the alliances that, uh, that she wasn't even prostituting herself advantageously. Right. Uh, She says, you are the only, he says, you are the only prostitute who pays others for her prostitution. Right. So essentially you didn't need the money because God was providing for you. Uh, But this is the reason for Jerusalem's rejection and punishment. So this is whole really interesting imagery of a baby that grows up and gets married. And but at the very end, even in judgment, again, there is hope. So that brings us to our last chapter, which is chapter 17. Now, Chapter 17 contains a bit of a riddle. There's an allegory of two eagles and a vine, and it's supposed to be challenging to understand, but luckily God gives the basic answer later on in the chapter. Thank you for that. (laughs) It gives us a little key of understanding, because otherwise, yikes. So here's how I currently understand it, okay? Now, I really want you to read Ezekiel chapter 17, and 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 I... would really encourage you to really dwell on it and and think about it. But here's how I understand it. So first, an eagle plucks the top of a cedar tree and takes it away. Then he plants um, a seedling of the land in fertile soil and it sprouts and becomes a low spreading vine rather than a tree like it should have, right? It's it's a seedling. It should have become a tree, but it, it came a low spreading vine. So the first eagle is Nebuchadnezzar. He plucks the top of a cedar tree. So the cedar, how I understand it, is David's dynasty. And the very top of the cedar tree was that new ruling king, Jehoiachin, who Nebuchadnezzar plucks from the throne and he takes to Babylon, okay? Mm -hmm. And in Babylon, Babylon's called the land of the merchants in the riddle. Now, the seedling that this eagle or Nebuchadnezzar plants is King Zedekiah, because he's the one who sets up Zedekiah on the throne in Jerusalem. But Zedekiah doesn't become a tree like Nebuchadnezzar intended uh, because he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. So instead, he becomes a low-spreading vine. Um, and and, And a spreading vine specifically, because through Zedekiah, the population begins to spread and trickle out in exile towards Babylon. All right. The second eagle then. So a second eagle, the vine, that low spreading vine, then sends out, sends out its roots in, um, out of the ground. Okay. So its roots start growing, not, not down and in the ground like they're supposed to, but it out of the ground to this eagle and its branches as well. And God asks, will it thrive? Well, obviously, no, because its roots are now in the air, not in the ground. Okay, so the second eagle is the pharaoh of Egypt that King Zedekiah and then the remainder of the people turned to for help. But it was all for naught because Egypt couldn't save them. So he turns the the vine, it turns what is supposed to be, you know, going down to get sustenance. He turns it to a false hope up into the air. Uh, 
this chapter, chapter 17, ends with God himself picking a shoot from the cedar tree and planting it in Israel, and it grows into a mighty tree. So this would be the branch prophecies or the shoot prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah that talk about the Messiah, the long-awaited-for Messiah that comes from the line or the dynasty of David. I know that was a lot. No, that was good. That was a lot. That was a great summary, yeah. But that's how I understand it right now. If you guys have any comments or questions about Lamentations or Ezekiel up to chapter 17 thus far, please put it down in the comments below, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high-quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under Donate. Your support really means a lot to us.